Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, uh, I hope you had a good week. I had a great week preparing for uh, a new series. It's always a good week for me when we're preparing for a new series, but especially uh, when it's a series when we're going through a book of the Bible. And we're going through one of my favorite books in the New Testament called uh, Colossians. Uh, and book studies allow us to look at Scripture, uh, dig a little deeper, uh, have a greater understanding. And my hope is, is that as we begin to unpack it, you would have a greater appreciation for Scripture as a whole. So over the next uh, several weeks, we'll be looking at uh, the book of Colossians, Uh, And you may be surprised what a letter written some 2,000 years ago has to say about faith, freedom, and the supremacy uh, of Christ. So a lot to jump into today. Let's go ahead and pray. We'll see what God has for us. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you for our time of worship and just just how we get to proclaim uh, Scripture. And we get to sing it out. And we get to sing it back to you. We get to express our appreciation and our love to you. We get to receive from you. And so uh, we want to continue in an attitude of worship now as we position ourselves to receive from your word, your word of truth. And so uh, we want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak and to minister and to change and to continue the transformation that you have started in all of us. And so we invite your presence. Uh, We continue with an attitude of worship, even in our giving, Uh, as we place you above uh, all things, including our finances, as we uh, we give to you. And so we ask for your presence. Sweep across this place. Holy Spirit, be to each person what they need today. Wherever it is that they need a significant touch from you, wherever it is, whatever area of struggle they have, wherever they need to experience the life and the love of God, Would you rest upon them? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you don't know my past, I uh, am an old car guy. I rode service for Mercedes for years. Uh, Made the jump over to Chrysler for a few months before uh, my then pastor asked me to come on staff uh, as a a worship uh, director. Uh, And so what that means, and you may think this is weird, but if you're a car guy, you know this. Cars talk to me. Uh, and I can tell you something that's wrong with the car long before it actually breaks down through how it sounds, how it feels, vibrations up through the floorboards. And I may not be able to fix it, but I can tell you something's about to, to, go, to, to, to go bad. Uh, and so I, over time, I have developed a lack of patience for things uh, on a car or any uh, automotive vehicle that aren't working correctly. Some things bother me more than others. Like one of my pet peeves is when a car is out of alignment. And if you have to cock your steering wheel 30 degrees to go down a straight line, we can't be friends. Maybe it's my OCD, but if I got a car out of alignment, it drives me crazy. I'm constantly yanking it just for that moment to be straight where I can breathe. And then I I drift. When, When a vehicle's out of alignment, you drift off center. You drift left or you drift right. But vehicles are not the only thing that get off-center. Churches get off-center as well. They get out of alignment. And so what we're going to read today uh, is 
uh, uh, the book of Colossians. I told you it's one of my favorite books, but it's really not a book. Colossians is a letter written by a guy named Paul, um, and it was a letter that intended to bring the church of Colossae back into alignment because they were drifting. And they weren't alone in this. Paul wrote numerous letters uh, to the church of uh, Corinth. We call it Corinthians. And the church of Galatia, we call it Galatians and, and so on. These are all letters that Paul wrote to bring some type of encouragement or some type of correction. And so uh, the church at Colossae uh, wasn't alone in this. He wrote a letter to uh, the church of Galatia, Galatians, because the Galatians thought if being a little conservative was good, then being overly conservative is better. And they thought if a few rules was strong, then a bunch of rules is awesome. And Paul had to bring some correction. He wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, who they swung, drifted hard the other way. They went to the left, and it was the church of Corinth that Paul said, uh, I hear you guys are getting drunk on the communion wine. He's like, what, what? And not only that, he said, it has come to my attention that you have a man in your congregation that married his mother. That's freaky right there, yeah, yeah. And so Paul wrote a letter to kind of bring correction and be like, what are you doing? And so this letter to the church of, of, of Colossae, and when I say the church, I mean it's written to the people because the church is not brick and mortar. You are the church. I am the church. Paul wrote a letter to the church to kind of bring them back into alignment. Uh, and so uh, we see the beginning part of this in the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians. Colossians 1, we'll put it on the screen. Look what Paul says. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, here's who he addresses it to, to God's holy people. Other tra- uh, translation says, to the saints in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul wrote a letter, and that letter was read by the church, the people, and then that letter was passed around. Look at Galatians 4, later on in in chapter 4. He says, this letter has been uh, read to you. See uh, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in return, right, you read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul wrote a letter to them as well. It's a lost letter of Paul. Now, this has been debated for centuries, whether or not there is a lost letter of Paul from the church of Laodicea, or whether or not it was actually found. It's not in our modern biblical text. If you want to do some research on it yourself, maybe we'll talk about it when we get to chapter 4. Quite interesting uh, about what we think happened to that letter, what some people think it's found, others say it's a, it's a forgery. But the idea was the same. Paul wrote a letter, uh, that letter was then copied down, and then it was passed on to a, another church to read it, who then copied it down, read it, and then passed it along uh, as well. So today, when we read anything from Colossians, understand that the chapters were not there. We put the chapters in and the verses in because it makes it easier to read. But it was a letter that was written, copied down. And so what we have today is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy onward. And that's what we have today. And so we're reading a letter from the Apostle Paul to the people of Colossae to bring them back into alignment. So we're going to get rolling. We've got a lot to cover. Uh, how long we'll be in this uh, book study, I don't know. Some verses we'll move quickly on. Some we'll rest on and, and kind of develop the thought. So uh, Colossians 1, verse 1, we'll put it on the... Paul, stop! No, we're not going that slow. I'm kidding. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy was uh, a ministry cohort of Paul's 
traveled with him often. Let's talk a little bit of background on Paul, just as we kind of develop this letter and what it's about. Paul was Jewish. He was born in Tarsus, uh, but he also had a Roman citizenship that came in handy. Rome was the prevailing empire of the known world. Also had a Roman citizenship, which he used to his advantage, uh, especially when uh, arrested or under threat of, uh, of harm. He would pull his Roman citizenship card. Paul was a Pharisee, meaning he was a member of the Jewish elite religious sect. Uh, And then Paul, before becoming a follower of Jesus, his name was actually Saul, was a persecutor of the church. And so Paul spent his time trying to squash the new movement. Scripture says when when Stephen, the first martyr, uh, first Christian martyr was killed, Paul was there. It says that he was pulling Christians out of their homes and putting them uh, in prison. And so uh, Paul then had a quite remarkable encounter uh, with Jesus in Acts 9. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and he has this supernatural experience on the road to Damascus. Uh, And he is uh, thrown to the ground. He's blinded by the light, revved up like a deuce, like a runner in the night. Some of you get it. Some of you are like, I don't read that in the Bible. You'll get it later. So he's blinded by the light, and he hears this voice that says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting Stephen, or why are you persecuting uh, uh, the the, the people of the house church? He's like, why are you persecuting me? Meaning you touch one of my kids, you're doing it to me. Paul, why why are you doing this? And he had this uh, miraculous conversion where Paul went from trying to extinguish the flames of the early church to fanning the flames of the church, and really became, uh, well, the threat of Western Christianity, it's all tied back to Paul. Wrote 13 books of the New Testament, possibly 14, depending where you land on Hebrews. Uh, and so it had just a huge influence uh, in Western uh, faith. And so we'll continue. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters, grace uh, in, in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. Now, let's talk about Colossae a little bit as we're building this. Colossae had been a leading city in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. We have that map there. You can see up in the corner is Italy, just so you can kind of position yourself. Jerusalem's down in the lower right. Uh, Colossae there, modern-day Turkey. Uh, Colossae was a huge uh, trading city uh, back in, uh, you know, 400... 300 BC. At the time of Paul's letter, somewhere around 60 AD, 61, 62 AD, uh, Colossae had gone the way of just kind of a a forgotten second-rate market city, and now Colossae doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, It's fallen the ways of uh, ancient ruins. And so what I find interesting there, go to that next slide if you don't mind, Paul says uh, that we've heard of your faith. Now what's interesting about Colossae is most of the letters that Paul wrote, he actually started the churches in those areas. And so he would move into a location, say like Ephesus. We have the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians. He would go to Ephesus, go back there. If you can uh, go back to that map there, you can see Ephesus there off to the left of Colossae. You can see Tarsus where Paul was born. Corinth, the letter of, uh, written to the Corinthians. Paul traveled all of these, Thessalonica, the, uh, all, all of that in the, the New Testament. 
And so Paul would travel to one of these locations. He would begin to proclaim Jesus and the story of the gospel, the message of salvation. People would come uh, to become followers of Christ, and then the church would form. And Paul kind of had oversight of uh, those churches. That's why he wrote letters to them. Well, the interesting thing about uh, Colossians or the church of Colossae is that Paul never visited there. Uh, From what we gather, we're fairly confident in this, is that the church of Colossae formed organically um, by a guy named Epaphras who heard Paul speak in Ephesus. Paul spent three years there. Heard Paul speak, became a follower of Christ, went back to his hometown, started telling people of of this Jesus that he heard about, and soon his family, friends, uh, community began to be followers of Christ, and so the church formed. And so Paul really didn't have a direct part to play in the forming of the church that he's now writing a letter to. Shortly after the church was established, 61 AD, uh, Epaphras traveled back to Rome because Paul was now in prison. This epistle, this letter we're about to read, is a prison epistle, meaning he was at the end of a two-year stay in Rome in prison. Epaphras travels back to Paul, gives him good news about the church and what's going on, but then starts to tell him, but we have some problems. And he's basically coming to him saying, look, I started this church. I have no idea what I'm doing. And can you help me out a little bit? And so Paul is going to address a letter to them. Now, uh, the problem was, the primary purpose that Epaphras went to see Paul in Rome was there was this false doctrine that was starting to eat its way into the church known as Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosis meaning uh, uh, mystery uh, or knowledge or spiritual mysteries. And so the idea was uh, that Gnosticism taught that salvation or the way to God was through a secret knowledge that came from some mystical experience. Now, Paul's the guy that said salvation is through grace alone. So imagine when Epaphras comes to Paul and said, so in the church, I have some people who are starting to believe that there's some spiritual, mystical knowledge and that we have to learn this special thing, this special knowledge in order to have access to God. Paul's like, oh, no, 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 we're going to set that straight now. Now, Gnosticism wasn't fully developed for the centuries uh, to follow, uh, but the beginning stages was obviously beginning to be woven into the fabric of the church of Colossae. And so Paul began to write a letter to set that straight. So his letter is pastoral in nature, seeking uh, to encourage and bring correction because many in the church were deceived. You've heard me say before that the problem with being deceived is that you're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, you would stop being deceived, right? But the problem is, is when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. And so Paul is calling out their deception. Do you have anyone in your life that can call you out when you begin to drift? Is there anyone in your life that can call you out when, when you get off-center, when you're deceived, to say, look, I know you don't know it, but you're, you're deceived? If you're pushing away everyone who tries to call you back to center or tries to point out your drift, that's a dangerous place to be. And so Paul begins to call them back. Colossians 1, verses 3 through 5. He says this. He says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ, catch those three words, faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have, now catch this phrase, already heard in the true message of the gospel. Now I have 
four thoughts I want to give you as we dive into this chapter. The first thought is this, is that access to Jesus comes through faith. Now remember the wrestling with Gnosticism that said access to God comes through some special knowledge and some mystical experience, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. It, it, access to Jesus comes through faith. He says in verse 4 that we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He's bringing them back into alignment. It's not some mystical experience. It's faith and faith alone. In other words, Paul's saying, stop complicating things. And then he reminds the new believers of Colossae. He said, look, verse 5, he said, you've already heard the true message of the gospel. In other words, you're drifting, but you've already heard the truth. Why have you moved off center, and why are you embracing a false truth, right? Now, what is the gospel that Paul speaks of? The gospel simply means good news. And so when we say good news, what is the good news? The good news is is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus solved our greatest relationship problem. The Bible makes it really clear that sin is what separates us from God, that relationship with God It's separated. The good news is that Jesus solved our greatest relationship need, that we were separated and and set apart uh, from God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, God put on flesh and, 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 and solved that problem. Now, let's talk about sin a little bit. We get the word sin from an archery term, meaning to miss the mark. And so anytime that you would miss dead center bullseye, it didn't didn't matter if you missed it by an inch or whether you missed the target, you sinned. You missed perfection. And so anytime that we miss perfection as as defined by God, we sin. Now, if you don't think you have a sin problem, just ask someone in your family if you miss perfection. They're going to tell you really quickly, right? And so this sin, the Bible says, separates us uh, from, from God, and, and it's, it's that sin that separates us, and Jesus came to solve that problem. Uh, sin isn't really a, a popular topic in churches today. We like to talk about being overcomers, and we like to talk about prosperity, but when we diminish sin, we really diminish the cross. If we're going to just kind of wash sin out, then the cross just becomes a self-help tool to make you a better person. The cross is not a self-help tool just to make you a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, or a better employee, or just a more moral person. The cross is the beginning of life and the beginning of faith. And so the Bible speaks very clearly that the result of sin, the penalty of sin, is death. Death includes two dimensions, physical and spiritual. Physical death, we know, it's when the spirit separates from the body. Spiritual death is when the spirit is separated from God. And so the cross is a picture of God, Jesus, taking care of that second death, that our spirits wouldn't have to be eternally separated from God himself. And that's why when you read of the crucifixion, before Jesus gives up his spirit, he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? Or why have you withdrawn from me? If Jesus is taking my penalty or my punishment for my sin when I miss perfection, then he had to, for a moment, be separated from God because that's what ultimate spiritual death is when my spirit is eternally separated from God. And Jesus stepped into the world to take care of our sin problem, which keeps us from God. The gospel is the good news that Jesus put on flesh 
and gave his life that we might live. And Paul's reminding the church of Colossae that access to God, access to Jesus, is through faith alone. Now, when we talk about faith, what are we talking about specifically? Well, faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith that Jesus rose from the dead. Faith that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is sufficient for you. That when we stand before God one day, we're not going to have to show a resume that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, that it's Jesus alone. Throughout all of Colossians, his letter, Paul is building on this idea of the supremacy of Christ. And here's what he's doing again. It's faith in Jesus alone that brings us salvation. And so that's a decision that each one of us need to make. It's personal. We say it's as easy as ABC. We'll put it up on the screens for you. Personal decision to accept the fact that you're a sinner. Again, if you don't think you're a sinner, ask a family member. B is just believe that Jesus died for your sins and conquered death, that his life might be your life. And C, confess him personally. Confess that Jesus is Lord. And in a world where everyone wins spirituality, some people would say that claiming that Jesus is the only way of salvation is too narrow. They would say, look, God is love, and a loving God will provide many ways to eternal life. And this thing of Jesus being the only way, it's too narrow, and people get angry. So I want to ask, is it really too narrow? Because when I, when I think of it, I think it's actually pr- pretty wide. I mean, when you think about it, anyone can access it. That your past doesn't matter, there's no hoops to jump through, you can't buy in, you can't work your way in, Uh, your good doesn't need to outweigh your bad, there's nothing that you can do to gain eternal life but simply say yes. That's pretty wide to me. It's as if Jesus kicked open the doors of heaven and said, anybody who wants in, come and get it. I know we like to, it's too narrow, it's wide, man. There is nothing that you can do, nothing that I can do, but simply say yes. Simply say, forgive me, that my sins might be removed. So when people say it's too narrow, I think it's just the opposite. I think it's wide. And so let me ask you, have you embraced that gift today? Have you embraced the gift of forgiveness? It can be yours today. Let's jump on. Paul says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and, catch this one, the love you have for all of God's people. Here's my second key thought. The mark of a true follower of Jesus is love. Now, I don't know when love became optional for Christians. I hear and see so much hatred coming out of the mouths of and fingers of people who live under the banner of Christ that show no love whatsoever. Listen, it doesn't matter how we justify it. It's sin, and it's ugly, and it's wrong. And so this idea of love is a constant theme throughout Scripture. Listen to the harsh words in 1 John 4. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, sister, mother, ex-husband, ex-lover, teacher, you plug in whatever you want there, 
If anyone says he hates his brother, he, she is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I mean, that's harsh. That's straight out of, of, of God's word to us. And so scripture tells us it is spiritually impossible to have the spirit of God in you and yet continue to hate someone. Now, are some people more difficult to love? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I can L-O-V them. I can't give them the E, but I'll kind of get halfway there, right? You know, absolutely, absolutely. And there's a challenge, but that's one of the marks, one of the, the challenges of being a follower of Christ. Am I learning to love people uh, in a more godly way? There's no except or unless to the types of people Jesus commands us to love. It doesn't matter. It's just love. In John, Jesus says this, everyone will know you're my disciples, that you follow me. How? If you love one another. He wasn't asking, he was commanding it of us. And so to embrace the love of God that we do not deserve, and then turn around and withhold love because we consider someone unworthy, is anti-Christ in its thinking. It's a supreme test for followers of Christ. Am I becoming a more loving person? All right, key thoughts. Jesus uh, is accessed through faith. The mark of a true follower of Jesus is love. And the gospel is our assurance of heaven. Remember, it's a letter to the church of Colossae. He says this, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Now, I like how the English Standard Version, it would read like this. Uh, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul says, you have exercised your faith and you've exercised your love because of hope laid up for you in heaven. Let's talk about heaven a little bit. I have some sobering news for you. You're going to die one day. Surprise! The death rate, the last I checked, is hovering right around 100%. All right? It's going to happen to all of us. But what you believe about death determines what you believe about life. What you believe about death determines how you live. And one day, we will all pass from this life, and we will stand in front of our Creator. And at that moment, there are two choices. Heaven or an eternity in Tucson. (laughs) You don't want to go to Tucson, okay? I'm just saying. And so uh, this idea of death is going to fall upon all of us. Now, it must have been because I was speaking about heaven. Where are we at time-wise? Okay. It must have been because I was speaking about heaven. I actually had a dream about heaven last night that I went to heaven and uh, was walking heaven with Peter, and there were all of these clocks all over the place. And Um, I asked, I said, well, what are these clocks for? And they said, well, the clocks represent each person on earth. And the movement of the clock is tied to the amount of sin of each person. And so I was like, well, where's my clock? And so I went, my clock was like, like, well, it's not too bad. And Peter's like, no, it's not too bad. And then I was like, well, where's, I thought, I want to check on staff. Where's Pastor Mike's clock? And Pastor Mike talked, was a little faster than mine. I was like, well, it's still not that. And I looked around, I was like, I didn't see Morgan's. And so I said, where's Pastor's Morgan? And Peter said, Jesus is using it in the back as a fan. All right, so we're moving right along. So (laughs) that was bad, I know. 
is the hope laid up for you in heaven, is it a reality to you? Is it a, re- is it a reality to you? Think of it this way, that in time you have an eternal vacation coming. Do you know how life gets when you have a vacation and you have something to look forward to and, and, and you start the countdown in your mind, I have a vacation June 30th and I'm thinking 42 more days. You know what it's like how stress just kind of rolls off your back and you're thinking, I can do it. I can handle this only seven more days or whatever your time is. And life seems to be a little lighter because you know that no matter how bad things are today, that there are better times around the corner if vacation's coming. The bigger the vacation, the easier it is to handle the stress that, that, that you're currently going through. Is heaven a reality for you? I mean, the, the, the truth of that, an eternal vacation is coming our way. Things should affect you a little bit less. Paul says, look, you have loved and exercised your faith because of the hope laid up for you in heaven that you've come to realize that this earth is not the finality of life, that better times are coming. Here's the key. A good vacation changes your perspective, right? Has heaven changed your perspective? I hope it's changed your perspective. It should change your perspective. Let me talk about the wonders of heaven really quick, and then we'll move on. Here's some wonders of heaven. Put some thought to this a little bit. Think of this. We get new bodies. Now, anyone who just made a noise is over 40, right? <laughs> L- listen, listen to what 2 Corinthians, the Bible speaks of such, such truth. It says, our bodies, our dying bodies make us groan and sigh. Anyone get out of bed today and groan and sigh? Yeah. If you're young enough that your body has not made you groan and sigh, first, we really don't like you right now. And second, your time's coming, baby, all right? And so our bodies make us groan inside. The good news is, is that we get a new body. Here, I already picked out my new body, and there it is, right? Oh, wait, wait, this is embarrassing. That's my current body. All right, look at 1 Corinthians 15. We'll move on. Yeah, thank you. Let's get that off. It says our earthly, <laughs> our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Hey, anyone ever tell you you've got a heavenly body? They will one day. And they'll mean it, right? And so the idea that, hey, we get new bodies, that we spend eternity not in this broken down shell, Here's another reality, wonder of heaven. We will get to see the people that we've read about. All the people throughout Scripture that we're going to get to meet them and talk to them. We'll be able to go to Moses and say, Moses, what was it like when the, when the sea parted? When you took your staff, did, did you really believe it was going to happen or did you think we were dead? Talk to Daniel and, and what it was like in the lion's den and David. What was it like fighting uh, Goliath? We're going to get to walk up to Eve and say, what were you thinking? Right? Well, I'll have some words for her. Hey, what about this one? The wonders of heaven. What about a sweet homecoming? Some of you have family members who love Jesus, who have passed away, and you'll get to see them again and spend eternity with them. I mean, this, it's like a vacation mindset. You know what it's like when you get to reunite with somebody you haven't seen in a long time on vacation? There's a homecoming for us. Hey, what about this one? We will experience the no mores. Revelations 21 that he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying and pain. 
No more tears, no more fighting depression, no more anxiety, no more fears, no more poverty, no more genocide, no more cancer and Alzheimer's and bodies that betray us and no more stealing and murder and locking doors and no more pollution and no more graffiti and homelessness, no more temptation, guilt, shame, no more disappointment, no more Phoenix Suns. It'll be awesome. But listen, all of that pales in comparison to this next one. We will be in the presence of God forever. I mean, just think about that. This needs to change our perspective. Revelations, you can read all of 21 on your own. So I heard a loud voice shouting from the front saying, look, God's home is now among his people, that we will spend eternity in the presence of God. Look, I don't want to minimize what you're going through right now, because I know some of you, you have the weight of the world upon you. But I'm telling you this, one day you will overcome. You will either overcome in this life, but you will surely overcome in the next life. And when we meet up in heaven, you come and find me, I'll come and find you. And we will all have the same story, that it was worth it. That I fought and I struggled and I clawed to hang on. And there were times that I hung on when people thought I was crazy. And all of the wrestling with things that I believed but I never saw in full. And things that, that, that my mind said, said your, your spirit is lying to you. And my spirit had to rise above. And all of the struggle and all of the temptation and all of the hurt and, and, and all that I wrestled with. And we will say the same thing. When we see him face to face, it was worth it. James tells us that this life is just a vapor, that it's here for just a little while and then it vanishes. Look, I know if you're young, it doesn't feel like a vapor, but take it from someone who's about to turn 50. It goes like that. Life vanishes quickly, and we have an eternity ahead of us. One more thought. Colossians 1.6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Remember, Paul's going back. He's like, hey, this, this Gnostic, mysterious knowledge. He's like, look, you heard it. You understood God's grace. You know it's God's grace alone. And then verse 7, we'll end here. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a fellow minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Epaphras carried the gospel message, the good news, to his town of Colossae and began to tell people about Christ and the church sprang up. Here's my thought on this. Um, the gospel um, requires a messenger. And in order for the gospel message to move, there must be a messenger. It was carried on the back of Epaphras, on the lips of Epaphras. Are you a carrier of the gospel message? Have you moved that message forward, the good news that Jesus solved our greatest problem? Because you are now the storyteller of that message, of the gospel message, of the good news. So here's what that looks like. Have you ever told anyone of your faith? Have you told anyone about Christ? Have you invited anyone to church ever? Do I embarrass you? Is that why you don't invite people to church? You know, I try to bring humor in because... Tony's shaking his head. You're an idiot. <laughs> I try to bring humor into messages because when you invite someone and they may not catch all of the nuances that at least they would say, that was all right, I think I'm going to come back. Look, I hope 
a lot of, well, a lot of work goes into trying to create a church that you can invite your friends and family to so that they might find the same Jesus that you found. Because you are now the messenger that carries the gospel forward. All right, well, we made it through seven verses of uh, the book of Colossians. I hope you found it interesting uh, as we just kind of unpack it. I hope you begin to develop a greater appreciation for uh, the Bible. We'll continue on this. Again, some passages will go through much quicker than this, but needed to set up the, uh, the background. Uh, stand with me as uh, we, we close. Uh, don't forget to stop by in the lobby. Let us get a photo of you. Proudly sport your uh, decal. Take off the back, stick it on the window, and then peel off the front. Uh, listen, before we go, maybe today is your day to embrace the gift that we talked about. Maybe today is the day that you access Jesus through faith. And maybe you've never made that decision before. Maybe you've never understood it. Maybe you never got the concept of sin. We're all sinners that separate us from God, and we need that sin to be forgiven. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to ask that as I pray in just a moment, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. And by you raising your hand, it's you saying, yes, I want that life. I want that forgiveness. So join me as we pray. Lord, Spirit of God, uh, minister to us and speak to us. I pray you would speak to every one of us here today, and I pray that something from the message uh, stuck with each person here. I pray that you would challenge us in uh, accessing you through faith and that love would be the mark of a follower of Christ. I pray that heaven would be a reality for us. I pray that we would be messengers of the gospel. And I just want to give an opportunity to stay in your attitude of prayer that if you've never embraced that gift, if you've never embraced the forgiveness of your sin, I just want to ask that you would be bold and put your hand up. Just so I can pray for you, I'm not going to ask that you come forward or anything. Anyone want to say, I want that gift? Amen. Good decision. Good decision. Good decision. Anyone else to say that I, I want my sin? Good decision in the back. I'm proud of you. And more than that, Scripture tells us that all of heaven is celebrating because three children of God came home. And so I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. Would you just ask Jesus to enter into your being and that he would become life to you? And would you just ask that he would forgive you of your sins? That all of the ways that you have missed the mark, that he would wash you clean of those things, and that he would restore your relationship with God the Father. And would you ask that he would come in and lead and guide you and would he be to you exactly what it is that you need today? And if you made that decision, the Bible is very clear that an eternal vacation is yours. And as your pastor, I applaud you for that decision. And our church applauds you as well. Uh, I would love to talk to you. After the service, if you could come up, I'd love to get your name and some information from you. I just want to congratulate you and celebrate with you. Uh, we'll continue with the series uh, next week. 
I hope you found it beneficial. Uh, invite someone to church. Be a carrier of the message. Uh, don't forget to help us out, possibly looking at changing services. If you can move into second and let us get a photo of you. Grab that new decal. God bless you guys. Have a great week.